It's time to take the ice with the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders and say, that's hockey, baby. The That's Hockey podcast. Now here's your host, Matt Trust. Welcome back to another edition of the That's Hockey podcast. As always, it is presented by Trust PR, although I feel like it should be presented by the Fairview Golf Course. I mean, <laughs> Fairview Golf Course post-game show has kind of been like the, the soundtrack to my childhood and for many others. Jim Jones from the Bears Radio Network is with us today. Jonesy, it's great to see you. Matt, it's, it's uh, actually for me, it's an honor to be on with you. Me knowing you as long as I have, uh, and there's photo evidence. Uh, of that, um, uh, I'm honored because I'm kind of like a hockey guy, but sort of. But you've had some pretty impressive first guests uh, so far. Uh, so this is going to be fun. Hopefully, uh, I admire what you do, and I think it's really cool. Great backdrop, too. Thank you. This is, by the way, uh, so shout out to, uh, to you know, uh, Martin Albandian there. He used to, he was the intern for us. Yeah, I'm in his basement there because uh, he has a nice setup down here. So I, I legit tell him, hey, I'm doing a podcast this day. So give me your basement. He goes, all right, sure, go ahead. So I'll hook him up with some golf. How's that? There you go. Yeah, I, I've been telling him, you know, I, and I'm so glad that like, I finally, after all these years, have played a round of 18 holes at Fairview. Finally, like at, at long last, it was a great course. I really enjoyed it. I, it was fun to have you, Kyle Mace, and Damon Turbert. Um, uh, it was an interesting day. I, I don't think you got the props you deserved at the end um, either, you know. Uh, but I was very impressed with your golf skills. Uh, slow start, but a strong finish. You yeah, know, you're we, like a good racehorse. We we got to work on the drive though. You know, the uh the the driving game isn't too good, but I mean, if I break out the 9 iron, then I can do some damage with that. So, it's uh it's still a bit of a battle with the the big boys. I was shocked at Kyle. I did not know he was a golfer as long as I've known him. I did not know he was a golfer. So, uh you guys are welcome back. It was a fun. I think the best part was sitting around for an hour afterwards. Uh, shooting the breeze and kind of having some fun and have some great laughs. Yeah, no, it, it was a great time. I'll never forget. So when we're teeing off on the first hole, of course, in typical me fashion, I shank it onto nine and uh, you'll never believe it. Then when I was on nine, I shanked it onto one. Like it was, it, it took talent, I think, just to do that. Like not the good talent, but. Well, let me tell you, for a person who's been in the golf business his whole life, uh, you are in the majority, not the minority. Yeah, so yeah. Don't be, don't feel bad because I see it every day. Well, so. no, it's good stuff. So it, it's great to have you on because your story is really a unique one. Because when nowadays when people see you and they hear the name Jim Jones, they hear your voice on the radio network, it, it just becomes known your immediate affiliation with the Hershey Bears Hockey Club going way back. Uh, we often don't know, I feel like, the story, though, and just how it all started. Because for you, it's relatively unique. You are one that really does not have a radio broadcast background. But it just kind of snowballed throughout time. 
Uh, well, as Ed Coffey would say, they let the genie out of the bottle and they can't figure out a way to put him back in. Um, it is unique. Uh, I don't have a broadcasting background. I actually have a turf management degree being in the golf business. I did want to do broadcasting, lost my father um, at a very early age, so kind of went into the golf business instead of that. Uh, that was our family business. Always a Bears fan, not from here, uh, moved here. In 1980, out of college at Penn State, uh, used to come down, go to the great Lucy's Cafe, uh, have dinner there, get catch games, moved here, saw the 80 Calder Cup, um, 88, uh, the, the, you know, the great 12-0 and 0 team of, of Mitch Lamru and Ross Fitzpatrick, Donnie Biggs, those guys. Um, got to be friends with some of those guys, got to know Beaker, Brian Butcherelli, uh, and Ed Coffey, who I cannot uh, do any of this without mentioning Ed. Ed and I were friends. I did a little bit of fun stuff with Ed uh, off to the side. We were in the arena, and one night he said to me, I have to go on the ice and do something. Come with me. I said, you're Ed Coffey. You're like the most famous person I know. And at the time he was. Coffey and the Jammer were the biggest radio thing in all of central PA. And he goes, I'm petrified to talk in front of people. And I'm like, you're Ed. He goes, I talked to a mic in a room. So I went on the ice. Whatever we did, people thought it was funny. And we kind of got offered a gig on a regular basis. We did Let's Make a Deal. I started out as sign boy. Then we ended up doing it. I carried a sign around in between periods. Then it went to the ice. And uh, then we skated. And I'm not a great skater. How I never killed some child uh, doing. We, we were actually dressed as referees in between periods twice a night in the old arena. And we moved into the new building where Ed kind of hung it up and uh, without a whole lot of practice, we threw the TV cameras on and uh, added the radio thing, doing some interviews. And um, I've learned my trade as I go. And I, as I said to you, I have a very fortunate experience. I've worked with the last five Bears broadcasters uh, in the booth, which to me is is uh, the neatest thing for me. It's kind of cool to be part of some, the history of the Bears, not only on the ice, but with the guys coming in and out of here. And the first was Dan Kamal, correct? He was the first one. Danny let me sit in for three games. Mike Stuthers, who's a close friend, former Hershey Bear assistant coach uh, as well, player coach uh, and, and coach, uh, was actually, I think, working at Twin Ponds at the time, but he was doing radio. He was helping build Twin Ponds. He was out of hockey for a while uh, with the very famous Frank Schofield, I think, at the time too. Um, and they'll both tell you the fact that the building's still standing is amazing. Uh, but Mike was doing color. He stepped away. I knew Dan a little bit. He said, hey, if you want to sit in, I read the scores in between periods and uh, had some fun, tried to do some things. And I learned the hard way. The mic is always hot. Uh, as I learned that the mic, uh, the, the radio plays in the locker room. So be careful what you say about anybody's uh, play that night as well. Um, but uh, worked with Danny and then did a lot with Mish. Um, uh, Dave Mishkin joined us then as, as we moved on. And did color with Mish through a lot of the playoff games. And then uh, with Johnny, Stoosh, and now uh, Zach Fish. Wow, that's awesome. So, I mean, it's five broadcasters. And, I mean, you talk about five characters, too. I never really got to know Dan Kamal or Dave Mishkin. Kamal went on to be the voice of the Atlanta Thrashers. Mishkin still with the Tampa Bay Lightning, known as uh, for his emphatic screaming, just his style of, of gameplay that – um, he was known and loved for in Hershey when they won the cup in 97. Michigan was the voice of that. Uh, all those personalities, 
is one kind of just stand out where like you look at him and you just kind of just smile and shake your head? Well, I mean, Dan Kamal, consummate professional. Like he was just, he called it as it was. He, he was actually part-time. He did radio in the morning uh, on, uh, I think at the time it was uh, 94.9. It was an oldie station and he was kind of an independent guy doing his own thing, but he did a great job, uh, but more of a professional, good sense of humor. Then you go to Mish. And what, and what I said is people don't know, Dave Mishkin might be one of the funniest people I've ever met. He could imitate anybody. Uh, he had some of the best one-liners. He called it as it was. He called a great game. He was over the top, and people love it, the, the triple score. Uh, I sat with him through the, the overtime game against the Phantoms. I don't know how he did it. He never got out of his seat. I think he drank 10 bottles of water. I was dying because I, I in the Hershey Park Arena, when you were in your seat in the radio booth, you could not get out. You had to actually crawl across fans to sit in that little – there was a card table there with the radio equipment. But Dave Mishkin could imitate people. He imitated Doug. He imitated Jay. He imitated uh, the coaching staff. So that's a side of Dave Mishkin I wish people could get to know. Uh, Johnny, on the other hand, you know, Johnny Walton, who we, you know, come to know and love. I think more people know him now because of the Caps. Um, one thing about John, and I, I always admire this, if the game was tight, he called the game tight. If the game was a blowout in either direction, John Walton had some fun. He knew what he was doing. And he's a great storyteller. Uh, and he's been part of, you know, three Calder Cups with the Bears and now a Stanley Cup. Um, Stoosh, you know, Stoosh was a grinder. Stoosh, you know, just worked hard, called a great game. He had that weather background. And, and like I always say about Zach Fish, there's a Midwestern person in there. Um, he can weave a story in and out of play-by-play. Play. You work with him, you know, day in and day out. Um, he's got that drier sense of Midwestern humor. Uh, but once again, a consummate professional. And he can zing you, too. He's, he can definitely throw a, a little one-liner in there very well. Well, they call him the shark for a reason because you get a couple rum and cokes in him. He just starts carving you. So it's uh... Uh, uh, yes, that's a fact. <laughs> um, like I said, uh, Mish and I go way back, and uh, in the old arena, as I started as sign boy, I walked with Ed, and we had this huge sign that said, "Let's make a deal," sponsored by AAA. And back then, faceoff sometimes took a little bit longer. They didn't have the hurry up faceoff rule like they did now. So we would wait, and we would come out of a, a an area in the HPA, the Hershey Park Arena. And I would have some fun. Now, I'm a lot older and maybe more mature than I was back then. But I would raise and lower the sign sometimes right in front of the radio booth. This thing was huge. It was like four feet by four feet and on a pole. And I would walk around and Ed would, we would pick contestants. And Marion Pearl would be, she was Marion Mother of Pearl. That's how Ed always introduced her back then. So she, she was our assistant. So during the TV timeouts, um, occasionally my commercials, the Fairview commercials cut by Ed were a little bit longer than 30. That would upset Mish because he wouldn't get back to action and play would have started. My commercial was instead of 30 seconds was maybe 40. So anyway, I'm having fun with Mish and I put the sign up in front of him. He can't see any action. Every time he would turn, I would move the sign. And I said, I probably have the distinction of getting the finger and a mouthing F.U. by Dave Mishkin during – and we were friends, and we, we still are friends to this day, but watching Mish's eyes buck out, bug out of his head as he came out of his seat and told me I should uh, go do something that's physically impossible to do. <laughs> um, but uh, that was Mish, though. He wanted to call every bit of it, and I'm so glad. I mean, he's – look at him today. He's calling a Stanley Cup final, albeit from home, but um, I'm sure Espo has some great stories to tell working alongside of him. 
Yeah, no, I, and I love those boot cam videos too, where uh, Michigan calling games off a monitor now, but honestly, like, you wouldn't know it, you know, because he's just that good. And I think if <laughs> there's anything right now with just the, the current unfortunate circumstances that uh, if there's one thing that's kind of a positive maybe that we can take away is you appreciate the quality of the broadcasters in the National Hockey League a bit more because these guys are calling games off a screen. They're not physically there. So it's easier for them to be, I guess, attached or emotionally distant from the play and from the action. But you wouldn't know it. They're just so good. They're just so emotionally invested. And you've heard some of Michigan's calls just from this postseason, whether it's in uh, the Stanley Cup Finals getting a win last night, uh, them winning game two over Dallas, or if it was a, a five-overtime win, a game-winning goal scored by Britain Point, you would think Michigan is actually in the bubble himself. Oh, definitely. I talked to John Walton. He came up a couple times during the shutdown of the NHL, and, and we talked about that. He thought he was going to be with them. He's like, my seat's going to be in the Capital One Center sitting in the TV booth with his partner. And he said, the hard part for us is going to be, we see things while we're at the rink. We see the officials call away from things. They kind of get a little uh, maybe pre-notice of what the penalty is going to be. He said, we're going to see it on a monitor, same as the fans are. He said, that's going to be hard, but you're 100% correct. You give him a lot of credit. And Doc Emmerich as well, because, you know, got to love Doc too, throwing those AHL jerseys up there on the background. I, I think, you know, and, and he definitely gave the Bears some love. But you're right. They – they have all of them, everybody in the bubble from the, from the support staff, they're, they're doing a heck of a job. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. I, I think my favorite Doc Emmerich jersey that I've seen up on his wall has been when, when he threw up the main Mariners one. That is just a beautiful, beautiful jersey. That, that is just old school, 80s, authentic American Hockey League style. And that's, that's where, you know, where did Doc come from? The main you know, Mariners, yeah. Yep, that's him. And, you know, the story about him coming to Hershey is, is legendary of the, everyone leaving the Hershey Park Arena and him standing out front waiting for a cab to come pick him up and take him back to the now-gone Coco Motel. And Frank Mather's picking him up saying, what are you doing? He goes, I'm waiting for a cab. He goes, get in. You're not going to find a cab and a friendship and a, you know, what did he live here for six, eight years and still drove to Philly um, to do the game. So uh, he is a part of Hershey history. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, with you, when you transition, so Hershey Park Arena days, there's no center-hung video board. Very old-school arena. Played in there beginning in, in like the late 30s till 2002. Giant Center opens, 0203 you debut. So now we have to get into the 21st century uh, video board features, all that uh, updated side of the, the technology and sports. And you take on this role as game night MC. And it's from my understanding, I was still fairly young at the time. But when this transition took place, you were apparently the most hated man in Giant Center history, perhaps. Um, very much so. So we left the, the HPA and did the last game, you know, tuxedos. Ed and I did the, the radio while Mish and Doc Emmerich did, did uh, the TV broadcast. You know, we walk through and, every, hey, Jim, hey, Ed, you know, you'd go different play because we had fun. We were the intermission entertainment. So you kind of got to be known a little bit. And no one, you know, kudos to Vicki Holquist and Hank and the guys that built great saves. But literally, 
they, they were running on the, by the seat of their pants. Vicky had the knowledge of running a gr- good crew of people, but literally we did no practice. I didn't really even know until probably weeks before we started that I was even part of things. I'm like, am I working? Am I not? Are we going to do it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So we did no practice. We did no sound check. We did nothing with, with, and we, we didn't have cordless cameras now um, and everything we have. So night one, we had all kinds of stuff planned and you could only go to two sections. I think it was like 118 on the one side and 125 on the other and everything was corded and it wasn't high def. And I was like trying to do things and we tried the, Fairview golf course, long drive competition with the, with a PlayStation, it froze. Um, they would introduce me, let's go to the ice with Jim Jones. In, like uh, the first stoppage of play, people had no idea. They're like, we're, we have, you know, kind of momentum going. We hit that. Yeah. You know, I mean, and you know, the TV times out are 14, 10 and six. It's gotta be even strength, blah, 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 no icing. And we stop and we go to me. And then after the 10, I'm on the other side of the rink. Let's go to Jim again. And then we get to the six, let's go to Jim one more time. And we're doing every dog and pony show you can. And, and they sold as much as they could. Now let's go to the ice. I appear on the ice. Let's do the, the Fairview golf course. Let's do the trike races. Let's go back in the second period. Let's go to Jim. It's at the 14 minute mark. I was sick of myself at one point, but the fans had no knowledge of why it was occurring. And we'd get momentum and then the play would stop. The red light would come on. The guys would go to the bench and I started getting booed. Every time I came on, because people thought I was calling like Hank going, hey, Hank, I'm ready. You know, let's let's stop play. I'm, I'm ready to go. And then I'd run to the other side, call Hank or Vicky. Vicky was calling the games back then. So literally, I couldn't walk the concourse. I, I made the fan line in the Patriot News. There was a petition to to boycott Fairview Golf Course. <laughs> um, and, and it was really disheartening. And as I told you, uh, the lowest point for me, and it was, I, I really thought like, like going to the rink was hard. Like, and I love, I love Hershey. And back then we didn't do a player interview at the end of the game. Like we do now, if we win. So a couple nights I would duck out early and I got on the elevator and our boy Sam was running it, you know, God love him, you know, God rest his soul. And Frank Mailers gets on with his wife, Pat and Mr. Hockey, Papa Bear you know, everything there is about Hershey, you know, is, is him. And he looks at me and, and he's like, what's wrong, Jonesy? You look a little down. And I said, man, Frank, I'm getting killed out there. I said, I'm like, everywhere I turn, people hate me. And he puts his arm around me. And this is a true story. And he goes, I'm not going to lie. I hate what you're doing. And like, you could have like the wind came out of the balloon. Like I'm now my shoulders dropped. I had the pout face going. He goes, but I like the way you do it. And he said, I know why you do it. And Pat was with him, uh, his wife. And he goes, keep doing it. You'll win them over. We need it. And little by little, year went by. I went to the booster dinner that year. No one talked to me at the booster dinner. Denny Ott, who used to work with us, invited me. I had, We ate family style. And I asked somebody to pass me like the rolls. And I think they threw them at me. <laughs> Literally, I sat in silence the entire dinner. I'm like, well, this was fun. It was like you know, prepping for a colonoscopy or something like that. So, oh God. but little by little, you know, things got better and people understood it. Um, and, you know, we, we truly have the best fans. I get booze now and then some are fun, you know, um, I've kind of passed the torch a little bit of some of that to, to Howard, I guess it's 61. They don't think I can get up the stairs, but we got uh, Bobby Howard now. He's got some young legs on him and I, I'm glad for it. 
I mean, you're so popular that during a jersey auction, once a fan tried to pull your pants down. I, I remember that. I was right next to you for that. Well, I've done every jersey auction but one, and we started in the old arena. I know I have no auction experience, but I learned on on the fly. And I mean, we've had jerseys go for six and seven thousand. It shows you the love of Hershey Bears hockey by our fans, and we we have some awesome jerseys thanks to you know the front office and Beak and Josh and and the design crew that does them. So. You were there a couple of years ago. Amy Ryan was with us, and I'm facing Section 119 like I always do. And it, it's, it's very intense, as you know, being down on the ice. It is hard to, you know, you're multiplying by 50, and you're trying to see all the people, and you're trying to concentrate and, and not mess things up, which occasionally happen. But what I didn't know is the 1,000 people that were facing me watched a girl come across from the penalty box crawling on her hands and knees across the ice, very slowly making a shh, don't tell him. And as she's getting closer, I'm in my groove doing my thing, trying to make money for whatever charity and, and have some funds and yuck it up. And the girl starts yanking on my pants to pull them down. And thank God my belt was tight um, or, you know, boxers or briefs would have not been a question um, at, at that point. And she had too many cocktails in the club lounge and she mumbles, I'll give you a thousand dollars. And I said, for this Jersey, she goes, no, a thousand for all of them. And long story short, we might've needed security to get her out of there. And she was escorted off the ice. But uh, yes, I almost lost my pants in the middle of a Jersey auction. That is a true, that is a true story. And uh, it's on tape and, I think occasionally they, the boys queue it up back home to see what it looks like. So Because, like, um, initially, because I, I was there with you, and I'll never forget, so Amy Ryan, I, I, could, still, I could still hear her voice just going, where did you come from? Like, <laughs> how did you get here? And, and you probably thought for a brief moment it was Alex, because so she's on her knees, so she's tiny, and you feel that tug, so it's easy. Okay, well, there's Alex, you know? I did. I thought it was my daughter for a second. And then I panicked because there's this woman and, and I think she had a military background. She did a hell of a job getting across the ice without us knowing it, but she kept making the shush sounds and no one told us that was the best part about it. Like I said, thank God my belt was tight on my pants, but uh, that'll go down in auction history. I don't know if we'll ever do auctions again with all the other stuff going on, but uh, uh, like I always say, that's going in my book. Yeah. <laughs> so, you you mentioned uh, so I, I want to go back where you mentioned um, you did three games with Dan Kamal. Do you remember the very first one? So you had previously read scores. He let you do color for a game uh, where where you kind of like shitting bricks going into it. Did you anticipate it was going to happen, or did it just um, was it all organic in a sense? I did I did my homework as best I could, and as I did with you know like I'm not a hockey player. I'll never pretend. You do a fantastic job. You 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 know for a guy that hasn't played hockey, professional hockey, you're very good at what you do. Thank you. You know, and you and you you know the, what's the key? Don't over describe. Don't you know? But but help your help your play by play guy. You know, give him a break. Let him write the scores. Go to the book. Social media is a big part of it now. There wasn't any of that back then. So. I tried to just, if he asked me a question, I, you know, I have a little bit of a sports background, played, played sports, so you kind of do that. But I made it through, yes, I was very nervous when the, you know, the, the light went on, if you want to say it that way. Much more comfortable with Mish, but um, I, I work with Mish, but they gave me the controls one time by myself. So we did the, 
we were in HPA and we did the fan, the, the player award ceremony and Ed Coffey used to do it with me. We would sit there together, Mish, just like our, our, our radio guys go down on the ice. Johnny did it, Fish did it, Stoosh did it. And, and so Mish is on the getting ready to do it, but Ed is not allowed in the booth with me because we were broadcasting at that time on a, on a competing radio station. So I'm, I bring some notes with me and, you know, there was no internet. I didn't have a phone. I could look anything up. So Mish is on the ice and all I've got to do is pot it up and down. All right, guys, you know, welcome to Hershey Park Arena on the Bears Radio Network. Let's go down to Dave Michigan and tonight's award ceremony. Turn it up, sit back, wait till Mish runs up the stairs, turn the controls over, and I'll just sit and do my thing. I'll help. The Zamboni broke down. So Mish is down there. Now the Zamboni's not moving and it's not working. And I'm in this radio booth at the HPA by myself. Except for Ed is sitting next to me but can't say anything. He's not allowed to say. And he's writing me notes on pieces of paper of words you should not say on the radio. And holding things up. And I can't, I'm trying. I killed probably. I went to commercial. I read the scores off the big board that was to your left. 20 times, they never changed the stand. Let's look at the standings, see if they've changed. Um, they're working on, and Mish is down there doing this. Stretch it, stretch it. I literally covered a half an hour. I didn't know how to work the board. I'm pressing buttons. I have no clue. Um, but they actually did let me have the keys to the Buick. I'm a little bit better now. They trust me up there by myself. Um, you and I have done the pregame, or, you know, the, the last game of the year. I've done it by myself. I've done it with Mitch, Randy, Rock Johnson. Uh, so I'm a little bit better than I was back then, but I, I'm, I'm more polished. I do my homework too. I'll never forget. So I was, uh, I was 19 years old and it was my first season as an intern. So this was 15, 16 season. Uh, so it was the only year that um, I really got to work with Stuccio, which kind of sucked because I, I really enjoyed working with Stuccio and I, I learned so much from Stuccio about, the PR side of it and the broadcasting side of it, just like he was your perfect first mentor in a sense where like you just learned the do's and don'ts. You just learned the ropes and I'll never forget. So uh, the Phantoms had just moved to the Lehigh Valley from Adirondack. I think that was just their second season playing in Lehigh Valley and I'm a Lehigh Valley native. So I, whenever the Phantoms uh, were playing Hershey uh, at the PPL center, I would go home uh, from school. I would see my parents, then go to uh, go to the uh, the hockey game uh, in the valley. And uh, so Hershey is there one night, and Stoosh early in the season let me do uh, just the pregame show with him. So I would throw on the headset just for like a five minute segment that was sponsored during the pregame show. Uh, then he would send it to break, and then it would roll into the uh, to the coach's interview. So it was like the second or third time we were in Lehigh Valley. I remember it being Black Friday and it was just this wild six to five or seven to six Lehigh Valley win. I show up that day at the rink. I walk into the press box. I see Stoosh and I say to him, so what's the plan for me today? Am I going to do pregame? And he looks at me and he says, well, what do you want to do? And me like half joking and half not joking. I was just like, well, if it was up to me, I would do the entire game with you. And he looked me and looked like dead in the eye. He looked at me and he said, okay, sounds good. And that was my first time doing color ever. And like, for me, that was awesome because uh, just 19 years old hometown 
AHL hockey on the Bears radio network, growing up listening to that network and, and so many awesome voices. Like that to me was just still to this day, one of the greatest moments, uh, you know, that you, you love to think back at, you love to talk about, but that was all stoosh. And that kind of just set the tone for just, uh, I think always trying to, I guess, pave the way forward for giving opportunities for whenever you see younger broadcasters and now whenever you have college level guys trying to get into it and they send you your demo tapes just like always trying to give them the time of day because I mean I remember when I was 19 and you get an opportunity and it just means the world to you so it's kind of cool that for you as well just with Kamal it was that that similar type I owe it to Mike Stuthers, and like I said, Mitch, you know, I'm not a hockey guy like you. We didn't play the game. Like, Mitch Lammer was so good at that. Freddie, you know, was so good. This year, you know, like looking at um, uh, Dave Fendi's. Dave Fendi slid in there. They see it from a different point of view than you and I do. But if you do your homework correctly, and I don't think anybody realizes how hard it is for the play-by-play guy. It's nonstop. And if anybody could see it, I know we have our booth cam this year and the Mitch cam is, you know, it was a great Mitch cam this year, but the social media, some of that, I mean, you took off, you know, you did a lot of that, but you, you could call a stretch, you know, where you don't even breathe, you know, and, and maybe you have to go to the bathroom or maybe you got a cough or maybe, you know, bang, bang, bang goals or something. You're trying to keep your scorebook and, you know, you got to pay those who paid, paid the, uh, the price to put your broadcast on. You got to make sure there's a liner here and sponsored by this and sponsored by that. So a good color guy is, is valuable to a play-by-play guy. And, and like I said, and I'm not blowing smoke. And I think I actually texted you at one point and said, great job or called you because I admire you. You have done a fantastic job learning your trade, know when to speak, know when not to speak too. Sometimes you just don't say anything. Yeah. yeah, like three on three overtime, honestly, like I would tell Fish, maybe I'll jump in once during three on three. But if it's end to end, if it's a track meet, it's your show. Shootouts, I never say a word, ever. Like, And, and you want to give the guy like he's got to write down in his book what happened or something like that. So, you know, the glance over, it's yours. Describe the goal. Just describe what just happened. I mean, now, now you have a monitor at least you can look back, you can see the replay. Like when we were doing it at HPA, there was nothing. We moved into Giant Center. There was not a lot there. I, I used to help Johnny. I'd go on the road with Johnny and, and sometimes the, go to the Spectrum and do some games. And Wilkes-Barre, people don't know, there's no radio booth in Wilkes-Barre. There's the, like, I got there the first time. I'm like, where's the booth? He said, it's a card table. It's, a, it's an eight-foot table on the concourse. They forgot it. You know, bingo, you know, you're in bingo and it's a great building to watch a game, but you got to walk up and you're kind of there and you go, wow, this is history. So it's not all palatial giant center. That's for sure. It's funny. So uh, with, uh, with fish, so you mentioned uh, just like knowing when to step in and knowing not when to step in. So, so funny story with fish. So it's, the infamous game five against Bridgeport, the first round series a couple years ago when Brian Pino scores his overtime game winning goal to send Hershey to the second round to face the Charlotte Checkers. Um, that game, Zach Fish came to the rink that day and he was sick. Like he had almost no voice and he was just dogging it. And he's about to call a decisive game five. It's in the first round when it's a best of five. So it's like a game seven in any other series. And of course it goes to overtime. 
and he is really, really struggling. So I'm on air doing intermissions for him. He told me before the game, hey, you're going to do the, uh, you're going to interview a player uh, for first intermission because I, I'm just not talking. I don't want to talk at all. I got to save my voice. I got to preserve it because I'm struggling here. He had like a humidifier in, in the press box. It, the thing looked like a bong and he was during, during times, like during moments of the action, when I was jumping in and giving analysis, there's fish taking like a bong hit of the humidifier just so he could call the next two minutes without his voice breaking. And we get to overtime. It's the overtime intermission. So I'm doing all the intermissions at this point and we're on a break and fish says to me, you're going to jump in a lot for this overtime period. Like if, if you have nothing to say, figure it out, say something. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to be great. So because like overtime hockey, I like to stay silent unless I really need to. So overtime is happening and it's just intense game five balls to the wall playoff hockey plays going on and fish is pausing so he can take a breath and he's looking at me and he's just like waving his arm to like say something talk and i'm looking at him and i'm like i don't know what to say it's like the play is happening like i don't know what to say at the moment but pino scored the goal like halfway through the overtime period we got through it fish made a hell of a call with uh almost no voice left he emptied the gas tank and we got through it but yeah, I mean, that was just one of those freak games we, we were able to, to get through. Well, I remember, like, even Stoosh or Johnny or some, you know, the three and threes or back then when we do four and five, we do Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's hard on everyone. It's hard on, like, you know, Beak and, that, and back then and that crew and, and, like, now Josh and Dylan. I mean, they're first in, last out. But, you know, people think the broadcaster just rolls in. Hey, what's up, guys? click on the mic and, and, you know, okay, game's over, pack the gear, set the gear up, all that kind of stuff. So um, it takes a toll on their voice as well, too, because you're doing so much media stuff during the day. But um, I could see him doing that. He should have – some of the barbecue sauce he sent me from Kansas City should have taken a hit of that because it's the hottest damn stuff I've ever had. That'll clear you out. That'll clear out the sinuses for sure. He loves his Kansas City barbecue. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Walton was one, though. He never seemed to lose his voice. Johnny, Johnny's got some of those. He's just got those pipes at baritone and he could go for days and he could, t Johnny could tell a story and in the middle of it, you know, call a goal, you know, and go right back to the story. He and Dean Arsini, when Dino was out for a while and he was up in the booth, were so, was some of the best two-man booths you'll ever hear. I would love to get Walton on this show in the future. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, I mean, just while we're on the topic of, of John Walton, what do you think just made him so special um, still today as a broadcaster to the point where he's getting national games? Uh, unfortunately, not this current Stanley Cup playoff because of the, of the bubble situation. But in the past, he's done uh, Stanley Cup playoff games, He's gone to the Olympics, Pyeongchang. That was a tremendous honor for him. And it's really neat to see a guy that's a Hershey alumni grow as a broadcaster. He's not the only Hershey broadcaster to make the NHL, but now to the point where he's going national, I think that deserves a lot of recognition. So what, what is it about Walton that just makes him just such a premier broadcaster? Well, he, he calls a great game. There's no doubt about it. He's got great pipes. Uh, you know, people might not know it, but he was the Reds PA announcer for many, many years in Cincinnati. So he, you know, 
when guys would come up to bat. It was his voice you heard in Riverfront Stadium and the, the Great American Ballpark. And, and, uh, but I think Johnny calls a great game. Um, I, I think he, he is, does his homework. And like, you know, we said, he's, he's got a, John's well liked. He's got a good sense of humor. I mean, he, he can, he can call it tight and he can call it loose and he's a great storyteller. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. We, uh, uh, all those years, three Calder cups. I mean, we traveled together, went to Winnipeg um, when we won the cup in 2009. And um, I, I just think he's good at his craft. I love to listen to him uh, much. I, much like Doc Emmerich. I think John is as good as anybody in the business and hopefully someday he might get that shot to, to take it all the way and grab the brass ring. So with Manitoba, it's the 2009 quarter cup finals. You actually ended up uh, with ABC 27 on the television side going up North to Winnipeg. So Greg Mace lost his, or, or I guess he never had a passport and it turns out the bears are playing a Canadian team in the final. So you had to jump in for Greg that that'd be a pretty neat experience for you. It was, I missed the 2006 trip. Uh, when, when the guys went out to, um, when they won in Milwaukee, um, funny story, Doug called me and he's like, we want you to go. And I said, I, I can't Doug. I'm really busy at the golf course. I have a lot going on. He goes, no, we really want you to go. You're, you're part of us. You're, you're here in, you know, game in and game out. We really want you to go with us, please. You know, the charter flight, the whole bit, you'll love it. I said, I can't go. He goes, no, you, I'm not taking no for an answer. I said, I've done three road games this year with Walton. We've lost all three. He goes, I'll see you when we get back. I mean, <laughs> like, basically hung up the phone. He goes, we'll see. And, the, you know, the Bears go on the win, and we watched it from the Giants Center. But in 2009, I had just gotten married. My wife said, do you have a passport? I said, I don't. She goes, you should really get one. That was in January. So here we win the cup, or we, we go to, to the finals, and we're going to Manitoba. Greg calls. I mean, the great – Greg Mace, you know, God rest his soul, the love bears hockey. And I just gotten to really know Greg a little bit better. And he goes, you have a passport? I said, I do. And he said, could you cover on TV for me? I said, yeah, I think so. He goes, you're going to go on the charter with the guys. So fitted me with an earpiece, whatever that little IB thing is like that. Get my suits, meet them. You know, we were like, uh, we flew in Bear Force One. Uh, did the Richard Nixon, we pulled right in the tarmac and walked to the top of the plane. Helms, you know, the whole crew, Dean Arsini, what a great group of guys. Beagle, Carlson, Holpe, Nuvi, everybody. And we walked to the top of the steps, do the wave, you know, the, the whole thing. We fly to Manitoba, um, go out that night. The boys, you know, we had a separate hotel going out with Doug and the whole crew, which is a story within itself. Um, but that's for another time, probably. Um, get up the next day. I do one of the best faux pas in front of the entire Bears staff that you could. We're standing in front of our hotel. We do the pre-skate. We see the guys, get some notes, the whole bit. And we're standing outside. And I said, well, why don't we go to Tom Hortons? And everyone turns around and said, what? I said, Tim. And they're like, no, you said Tom. And I said, or I said, Tim. They're like, no, you said Tom. And this went back and forth. So I was forever known as the guy who called Tim Hortons. Tom Hortons. In fact, when we won, won the cup, the celebration, Doug was always so gracious to thank everybody. And he thanked, instead of Jim Jones, he thanked Tom Jones. So that was my little needle. But uh, I did cover for Greg. We did uh, intermission. I had to run. Beat called me in the middle of the first period because um, in Manitoba, the players did not come out on the bench. They came out across. So they literally, the coaches, everybody had to walk across. My cell phone rings and I found out the hard way 
you should change to an international plan because V called me in the middle of the first period. Somebody needed an energy bar. I had to run back from my spot to go dig through the, the boxes to get like Borky or somebody and feed it to him through the hole, Did which was entertaining in itself. Like in the middle of the game, homie, what's up? Where are you? I'm over here. I wave. Hey, could you go get Bika or could you get Beaky an energy bar for Borky? I'm like, where? He goes, it's down here in, a, in Manitoba. It's like a five minute walk um, and get back in time. But did the TV. And the, the fun part is before we started, Walton calls me, he goes, you're going to do the TV intro. There's a pregame show on, I think it's TSN or in Can all, all through Canada. So I'm like, why not you? He goes, I got some stuff to do. And in Manitoba, the, the TV booth might be in Saskatchewan. It's that far away. And he's like, it might take me that long to get up there. So I do this pregame TV. I'm sitting with a guy who's a real TV person. They're putting makeup on him. And they're <laughs> like blocking the shot for the two shot. And I'm going to talk about the Bears, of which I knew pretty much about the guys. They're trying to figure out how to cover all the sunspots on my face for the man who's lived in the sun his whole life. And this guy's looking at me and I said, uh, 25 hours ago, I was actually cutting grass at a golf course in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Um, so, you know, tried to fake my way through it. But we won. We had a great time. Um, Dean Arsini, the famous Dean Arsini, he, in the, he had a cut. If you ever see the, the Calder Cup final, Dino's got a cut right here. And a lot of people thought it happened during the game. And, and he and I are being – I'm interviewing him in the post game, and the blood's coming down. It actually happened in the dog pile when we won. Oh, he uh, got it, clipped? Like a stick got him in the oh, dog Oh, yeah, but it makes it look tough. But we flew back, and Helms was, you know, and all the wives were there. We were, we were on the front of the plane, and they kept, you know, there's no more beer on the plane. There's no more alcohol on the plane. But a classy group of guys, a lot of fun to land in Harrisburg and, and see all the fans, and it was kind of neat. And then to turn around and do it again in the Giant Center in 2010, to be on the ice for that, uh, it, for me, it would be one of the memories I'll never forget. You know, to be part of that and doing the radio interviews. Greg took over on TV back then, but, um, you know, he and, he and Walton, I mean, that was a very, you were, you were there. Um, I don't think I've ever heard the building louder to this day at all. So uh, yeah, working with Johnny, like I said, was a lot of fun. Um, you know, uh, or my famous uh, trip to Washington, of which I told you, we, I had to deliver Simeon Varlama's father to D.C. one time. Um, John Walton and I, and you couldn't have picked two worse people to drive a person from Hershey, Pennsylvania down to Washington. Is Walton a terrible driver? No, um, it, he's probably got a nicer vehicle today. I think he drives a pickup truck, but back then it might've been a Ford Fiesta. Um, <laughs> and they didn't give us a company car. You know, now, I mean, you've driven in the, the, the nice company cars and everything. So he and I are going to a game, I think on a Monday night to see the Caps. And we're going to go down and I meet him at Giant Center. He goes, we got to pick uh, Varley's dad up. I said, why? He goes, well, Varley's dad's going to go to the game and he's going to stay. So we drive to, I think, the reserve where Varley lived. And he goes, go get him. So I go to the door and I knock on the door. And here comes Mr. Varlama wearing a sweatsuit with the CCCP across the front. And he's got this little itty bee bag. And he's got this red sweatsuit on. And I'm like, Mr. Varlama, I'm Jim from the Hershey Bears. We're here to pick you up and take you to Washington. He doesn't say a word. It's like Tom Hanks in that movie at the airport. He, he doesn't say, me being the very bright person I am, I just said it louder. And <laughs> typical, I didn't, I didn't, you know, no Russians. So we, we get him in the back of, of um, Johnny's car and we're driving and we're heading down 83 and we're going down and Walton goes, 
I got to go to the rest stop. And I'm like, what? He goes, I, I need to use the bathroom. I'm like, okay. So we're 45 minutes outside of the rink and we pull over and we find a rest stop alongside the road. And we're trying to explain to him, we're going to the bathroom. Like we're, and he's looking at us. So we take him in and he's not saying where we're guiding around and he goes in to use the restroom and John and I are standing outside and he looks at me, he goes, we could tell him this is actually the Verizon center. We could probably leave him um, just having some fun, but we don't. So we get back in the car, we pull in, we go, and you've been to the Verizon center, the capital one underneath, you know, Ovi's $120,000 car is there with, you know, three security guards standing around it. We pull in in the Ford Fiesta um, they're like, just park in the back and don't hit anything. And we get Varley's dad and we take him in. I'll never forget. Um, we walked him in and some of the other Russian families um, grabbed him. And when he like looked at us and when we were walking away, he went bye-bye like that. And it was just a surreal set. I mean, Varley, you know, made it to round three and he's still playing hockey today. But uh, Johnny and I always have a good laugh at that. It was, uh, it was in fact, it was John, when John got to call his first NHL games, but the, the Caps were playing St. Louis. And one of his friends was the radio guy for St. Louis. And they let him sit in and call the second period, but for St. Louis. And I can't think of the guy's name today. I think Chris Kerber, uh, maybe? Uh, or Kelly Chase. Um, oh, no. Um, no, not kind of, um, But anyway, so he actually had to call the second period for St. Louis. I was sitting on the press level with Dave Brown just kind of hanging out. Uh, with some of the scouts, but Johnny couldn't call any. Like, I think uh, Carly was up at that time or Beegs or somebody was up. One of our guys were up and he had to play it off like it was the opposing team scoring. But I, it was, was kind of neat to see Johnny get his first NHL voice uh, that second period. So a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I, I, like, I, I look back to the John Walton days and w- winning aside, you know, you're, you're always going to have – a well-liked broadcaster when you win. He had three cups, was very fortunate in Hershey, and when you're the voice of all that success. But I also think something he, he did really well was he was ahead of his time, perhaps, in terms of how he engaged with the fans using social media and how he intertwined that with his radio broadcast. I mean, he would have a, a Hershey Bears Radio Network Facebook page, and yeah, fans writing in, and he's engaging while he's on the air with the fan base and keep in mind like today this seems elementary but in 2010 this is a relatively brand new concept and it seemed like he was one of the first ones to to not only do it but to do it so effectively uh so he he deserves a lot of credit for that he actually did it here with john walton hockey he had his own website and um, did a fantastic job with it back then he would use Ed after the game with a little video camera and Ed would go in the locker room and talk to the guys. There's a great clip. Ed was in the hall interviewing one of the guys and in our hallway, as you know, it's not the most private place, but one of the guys came out of the hot or the cold tub, not totally toweled. And it, it today it would probably get blown up and it would make Facebook and everything like that. It would be, hang, hang on, I'm just hanging up my phone here. <laughs> Um, hold on, don't go <laughs> my phone's going to the uh, robocall. But anyway, um, he, you're right, 100%. He was, he was so good at what he did, and he was social media, and I think that's why he's good at what he's doing today. Uh, See, very much so. who, a best broadcaster that's also a great uh, golfer at Fairview. 
best broadcaster that's well Stoos so, was a great Johnny Johnny not so much. That was a Johnny, poorly worded question. Who is the yeah, best golfer out of all the Hershey broadcasters? Uh Stoosh. 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 Stoosh could play. Stoosh, the first time he ever teed it up at Fairview, um, drove the first green. He can play. Johnny, uh, Mish, Mish was fun. Mish used to just come and, like, he was single. Uh, he and his wife weren't married at the time. He'd have the high socks and the Mish, you know, he and Scotty Smith, who used to do PR for the Bears, would just come down. Brian Butcherelli, who, uh, you know, who is a big part of Hershey Bears history going back in the 80s. But Stoosh, by far, can, can play the game. And I've never – Fish has hit some balls, but he's got, uh, he's got jacks to worry about right now. Now we love, uh, we we know and love Stu Show. Uh, any golf clubs go flying on that golf course when uh, uh, when Stu is playing? We'd have to bring Mitch in on that one, but I, there <laughs> might have been, been a whirly bird now and then. You know, Stu is a competitive guy, and he plays he plays with Mitch on Sunday mornings. There might have been, uh, um, uh, it was a foggy morning, and I was on one hole, like, but I could hear it, and there's a distinct sound of a golf club going through the air. Um, but they, they can needle Stoosh pretty good, but he can play. He can, he can back up his game. Johnny does it for fun, but Stoosh plays, uh, with the guys and Davey Parrow, another, you know, there's some good hockey, hockey players can play golf. Uh, Pasquale Trepani, I think could have been a professional golfer. Borky was a good golfer. Garrett Mitchell was a good golfer. Uh, Mitch can play well. Davey Parrow's, you know, a good player, but hockey and golf go together and, it's kind of an obvious thing sometimes. Was the relationship between the hockey club and Fairview just kind of organic uh, through time, or how did, did that kind of un- unfold? It, well, you know, back in the day, the guys didn't make a lot of coin. You know, they, they, they all had summer jobs, and, you know, I met some of the guys and said, hey, if you want to come down and play, come play. It's on me. Um, we don't see it as much now. They, they live a little bit closer up to Hershey. Back then, they were living in Palmyra, and different places so um you know starting with mitch and uh uh dave fendis a little bit but more so like ray allison and and uh, ross fitzpatrick and the guys i mean fairview became a second home for the guys you know you're away from home you you're not making a lot of coin and all of a sudden you know like hey come on down they never really got in the way it was after practice i mean we've had everybody here we've had you know, uh, the whole Colorado coaching staff and Pierre Lacroix um, here. We've had, you know, uh, my wife and I play a game and Alex, we play a game uh, watching the Stanley Cup finals. Who's played at Fairview? And it's, you know, it's kind of like the Big 33 game. There's always been somebody from the Big 33 game that's played in the Super Bowl. And we do it now. So this year now, if you look on the one side, John Stevens, the assistant coach for Dallas, has played golf at Fairview. Dave Mishkin, you know, if you go back to the, you know, last year, when you, when you look through it, somebody from uh, St. Louis, or I'm trying to think who it was, uh, but, you know, there's a connection. And we just tried to make it a welcoming thing. And there's some lifelong friendships for me. Now that I have a little girl and who loves hockey, she loves being around the guys. So when they do come down, the uh, Colby Williams and Connor Hobbs, um, guys like that that are so far away from home, um, it's kind of nice to, to give them a place to go and bang some balls. And then she's kind of like the little buddy that gets to tag along with them. And, and we have an indoor golf simulator in the winter. And, you know, the guys don't – not everybody wants to go out. The boys would come down and play. We'd get pizza and hang out. And, um, like I said, she became, like, very close to a lot of those guys. Tough to see them leave this year. 
By the way, Alex Jones like runs post game downstairs. Like I feel like she should just take my job honestly. Like she should be the next media coordinator of the Hershey Bears. I, I feel like she would do an outstanding job. It was funny. We had a golf tournament earlier this year, and she one of my starters. Um, it's actually Derek Fisher, the baseball player. Um, his dad works for me part time, and uh, he actually showed up to work with two different sneakers on one day, same brand. And Derek sends him a lot of stuff, and um, he um, he actually had two different sneakers on. So the next day, she drove by, and we had a big tournament going on. And she chirped him. She goes, "What's up there?" His name is Jim. She goes, "What's up, Jimmy Two Shoes?" <laughs> she just kept chirping him, and this this guy in the tournament goes where did your daughter learn to chirp that way I said if you would see what she sees after a game because as you know downstairs it's hit or be hit and it you know it's from beak on down I mean everybody's chirping everybody and she you know she's a respectful chirper hopefully you got to earn your stripes downstairs so but you guys are very kind to her much appreciated oh absolutely she's she's been unbelievable to have around uh just so much fun for post game uh, I, I want to go through rapid fire head coaches with you. Just we're, we're going to go like a, in reverse chronological order. And I just want you to like comment or give me just a, one of your, just a, a great memory, just a, a fun story you have with, uh, with each coach going down the line. So we'll start with carbs, Spencer Carberry, two years now in Hershey. Uh, it, it's great to have him. He is just as classy as they come, I think. Very much so. Um, Carbs is a thinker. Uh, I've gotten to know him a lot better now. Um, his kids are friends with Alex, and we've, we've spent a little bit of time together. First time I ever asked him a question on the radio, and, and as you know, you've, you've been there. Um, he doesn't – he's a thinker. He will always think before he says anything. And I thought I said something wrong, and it was dead silence. What seemed like a minute and a half ticked off the clock, and I was like, I panicked. I actually started to sweat internally because I'm on the bench. I'm not a hockey player, but um, Carbs is a thinker, but he's a great interview. Um, so is Scotty Allen. So is Patrick Weller. But Carbs, Carbs is a student of the game, very much so. I, I would say that. I don't think I've ever seen a coach who hates to lose more than Carbs. He, exactly. And I'm, I have to stand in the room and wait for the room to clear. Like he goes in, talks to the boys and comes out with like six minutes to go. And as you know, you've probably been there, maybe on the road, but you're busy during a thing. So we're all there in the hallway, Josh, Dylan, me, and Wags, and, you know, wait for the door to open. And I've got to sneak around the corner. And I mean, not all nights are wins, not all nights are perfect. And I have to peek around and go, hi, you good? And, and he's never turned me down. He's a professional, but that man loves, he is a competitor 100%. He, a true student of the game. For sure. When it was like after a loss and I'd be down in the dressing room. So you know how the layout is downstairs. So you have the dressing room hallway, then in the hallway off to the side, you have the coaches offices across from the coach's office. You have um, goaltending department. Also Mike Wagner strength and conditioning. They threw him in there. So if it's after a loss, like I don't want to say a word, right? Like BC not heard, you know, just um, a lot of emotions, a lot of tensions. You just, you show up there, you do your job, you get out. What's great with carbs is that like, I don't even have to say a word. All he would need to do is just look at me. He would just see me and he goes, okay, posting. Then he would just, then I would just walk out the room and he would follow. Honestly, like he was that good. You, you never yep. really had to say anything. Uh, manner. Manner. Um, a lot of, a lot of subject matter with Troy, man. 
Um, a lot of subject matter. Um, good interview. Um, very intense as well. Um, you know, earned his right to be the head coach of the Bears with what he did. Um, but intense, but a great sense of humor and could shred, could shred anybody, anybody. Probably the best, probably the best chirper I have ever heard in my life. Hands down. What do you think is one of the best Troy Mann chirps you've ever heard? Um, it, it was when it was when we changed uniforms from burgundy to brown. We were all in the training room sitting there, and they were had Davey Paro and Mitch and some of the guys, and we were all sitting. I can't think of the goaltender who was there at the time. He was in town, and this big to-do, they invited the fans um, in, and we were all sitting in the room. I was part of it, and we were all just there, and Stoosh blows through the door wearing a brown suit. And it's like chocolate brown and manners with us. It's summertime. And he, he said something like, you look like a big turd douche or deuce, deuce. He called him deuce. He goes, nice suit, deuce. You look like a big turd. And I think Stoosh just turned and burned. He couldn't come back with anything. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, manner, manner could shred with the best of them. But once again, a competitor through and through the man loved the game and the preparation um, and just an intense person on the bench. He and Helms played so well off of each other, like good, almost good cop, bad cop in a way. Only one season in Hershey, but Mike Havland, former head coach for the 13-14 season. Oh, I'm sorry. We skipped over Mark French. Let, let's do Frenchie first, and we'll do Mike Havland. Um, you know, Frenchie, you know, worked his way up coming in late, you know, with Woodsy and, and, um, you know, following Woodsy, which was not an easy thing in nine and we go to 10 and then, you know, a fantastic season with great players, great guy, um, you know, over in Wheeling right now, um, did the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and, um, uh, I told you guys a story. He would, you know, the door like when the game's over, the, the door going up the tunnel would be locked and they'd play the music and he had the good, the bad, and the ugly. And like Patrick Weller said, he goes, I got a lot of uglies for, you'd get an ugly for turning it over in your zone or on the D zone or something like that on a breakout. You couldn't get out of your own zone. But I made a, a tactical error one time. Louis Robitaille, who was loved here, but then was hated after he left um, and has gone on to great things coaching. He has turned himself around and he's, Got, he's got kudos to Louis Robitaille, um, but he was with, I think, Albany at the time. Doug was away, and I said to Beaker, who should I interview? He goes, talk to Louis. He said, you talked to Nick Foligno, and he was a Binghamton senator. Um, he goes, talk to Louis. So, okay, so we set it up, Fairview Golf Course, and here comes Louis out from the opposing tunnel. Frenchie got wind of it. Let me have it. I supposedly through a chair. I got the bad. We didn't talk for, we didn't talk for, it was a very uncomfortable, we cleared the air. Um, you know, mistakes are made, probably a bad call on my part, but uh, um, Mark French was, you know, same thing. You know, you're asking questions to a guy that is so zoned for hockey. He, he just, he loves hockey. Yeah, absolutely loves it. So Haviland never really got to know the guy. You know what? That's like, that's an asterisk in Hershey Bears hockey. I would say that. Didn't interview him. Uh, Ryan Mujelin was his assistant. I would interview Muj. I never, Havlin never did an interview. And, you know, his off-ice ex, off uh, excapades are something of legend. So we'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. 
So, you, know, you, you don't want to get into the extra with that? <laughs> no, I don't think we should. But uh, it, got, <laughs> it, got Doug, it got Doug Inks to a coaching gig for a night, put it that way. You know? <laughs> you know? Well, I think Weller, too. So I, I think Weller was a defenseman at the time. Yeah. And uh, I think he ran the uh, the defense that night. Yeah, I remember just walking down the hall, and Doug was doing the Dougie coming down the hall. You know, everybody knows how Dougie walks with the waddle, you know, even with a new hip. And I said, where are you going? He goes, oh, I got to tell you something, and, you know, don't tell anybody else. It's a secret. You're the only person I'm going to tell. And he's like, I'm going behind the bench tonight. Have you sick? And um, I think he went 10 feet and saw Butchie and told Butchie 10 feet down the hall that he was the only one that knew as well. So, um, but, yeah, Havy was an interesting cat. Um, you know, Woodsy, Woodsy played here. I knew Woodsy back when he played here back in the day. Um, you know, Woodsy was an intense guy, you know, came with Bruce, but, you know, uh, took an 0-9 team, and, you know, and we, that was awesome. Um, then you go to Bruce. Um, I, I truly didn't get to know Bruce at all during the season. I walked past him every night, but he was just a different cat. I would interview Woodsy or somebody, but Bruce – I told you at Christmas time, we were at Doug's house having a Christmas party. He looked at me, he goes, who are you? What do you do? And I, and I said, uh, I do the pierogi shuffle. He goes, what the hell is that? And he was, <laughs> that was just Bruce. He's a hockey guy. Like he, we became friends afterwards and uh, he came to Fairview to play golf. Hell of a golfer. The man is one of the best golfers, great hands. You look at him and go, you know, you look more like you should be smoking a cigar somewhere, but he could take your money. Um, but he was eating he was eating at Fairview. We were sitting in the snack bar and I said, coach, your shirt's on inside out. And how the, the backing of a, of a golf shirt, the sew, the sewing is there. And he looks down like this. He goes, Oh yeah, it is. And just like that, he took his shirt off and switched it. And there was a stain on the other side. He goes, Oh, that's probably why I wore it this way. <laughs> I guess so. So, um, but uh, Bruce, like I said, he, you know, we've, we've been fortunate to have some really good coaches, Mike Foligno, uh, Paul Fixter, Paul, you know, Paul Fixter doesn't probably get the credit because the cupboard was pretty bare during the Paul Fixter era. Um, and, you know, it, it, we had sold the farm for the Avs to make the Stanley Cup finals. But, you know, you had Mike Eaves, you had uh, Jay Leach, you know, Mike Stuthers was an assistant. We, we've, you know, the history is so deep here. You and Mike Stuthers are very close. How, how did that relationship start between you and him? You know, I really don't know. Mike was a player and we, you know, he was not a golfer. Uh, he coined the phrase elephant's ass. Uh, he was playing golf one time, hit it straight up in the air and came down and they called it an elephant's ass. I said, what's that mean? He goes, it was high and stinky. But um, we've maintained a friendship from here to, to f the Phantoms, to the Flyers, um, to Owen Sound, to Grand Rapids, to the Thrashers, um, you know, uh, just recently, obviously, with the Ontario rain, um, Mike and I talk a lot. I hope he gets back into hockey and, you know, he's looking for, you know, a coaching gig right now. But probably one of the best guys to ever lace him up here. You know, number one draft pick by the Flyers, played for Toronto, had a chance to see him last year. And, you know, when you could cross the border, my wife and daughter and I got to see him in Toronto. Just a class guy through and through. And uh, when you're the all-time penalty minutes leader in Hershey, that says a lot. That's, that's no joke. Yeah, I mean, you think about all the guys that have come through over the years. I mean, there, there's been quite a few badasses. So I think whenever you have the ranks for that, uh, yeah. that's something. Yeah, but uh, like I said, just there's a friendship there. And, and um, you know, for me, I've got some lifelong friends. Mitch Lamroux is my daughter's godfather. Yeah, that was next. So what, what is it about Mitch? So when, when Bob Goodman was on, um, he, he referred to Mitch as, 
one of the classiest players he ever shared the ice with when when Bob would work games as a linesman Mitch was just a very very respectful center and you got to know Mitch really well outside of hockey away from the rink you mentioned he's the godfather for your daughter Alex uh him as a, a person just through the years uh what, what can you say about Mitch we we met when he was still playing the game and you know everybody loved number 16 he was he was tough you know he was persistent he put his but right in front of the goalie, get knocked down. He could tip pucks. I mean, chat, he, he was a chirper on the ice. You know, he could get a guy off his game. Um, he's great on faceoffs. But like I said, guys didn't make a lot of money back then. And he actually worked at Fairview in the summertime. And we lived close. I would pick him up in the morning and he would come and work on the grounds crew. He worked in the pro shop. Um, probably the only guy to ever work in my pro shop wearing shorts and flip-flop and having a dip in and sold somebody a set of clubs with a spit cup. Um, but that was Mitch, and you just love him, and he's a people person, 100%. And Renee probably doesn't know this, but there might have been a few mornings where I actually picked him up for work, and he was in his work clothes because I'm outside. We're, we're maintaining a golf course, and he might have changed when he got here into golf clothes and played golf all day. And then, like I said, I drove him home because we lived near each other, and they only had one car for a while. And he would go home, get a little dirt on his clothes and go back to the house. And uh, those are some secrets Renee doesn't know. But uh, class um, friendly. And I said to you, there's not a young kid that played in Hershey in his time or Providence um, or overseas. Um, and, and he played for the Skipjacks. I mean, a great you know, rookie of the year. You know, look, look up his numbers sometimes. They're unbelievable numbers. Played for a full year with the Penguins. But... Uh, the, any young kid that came through or single or newly married that Renee Lamoureux and Mitch Lamoureux and, and Corey, who was a baby at the time, did not take in at a holiday, a sick kid, uh, somebody that just had surgery every holiday. They, you know, I, I was a single man at the time. They fed me more, more nights than I could ever repay them for. But that's the Mitch Lamoureux that off the ice, he was a mentor to so many people. He was still Mitch. I mean, he was a character and, um, I told you the very first uh, autograph session, Mitch, Mitch doesn't always filter it out as well. And they, the way you do autograph night now, it's a start, stop. The guys get to go in, change, take a shower, you know, put your shoes on, get a bite to eat. There's a name plate there. And it's like, it starts here and it ends there. That's it. It's overdone. Well, they didn't do that in the Hershey Park Arena. And I, and I drove Mitch that night. Like Renee said, I was his chauffeur, his psychologist at the end of his career because we lived we talked on the way home and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I lean over the glass and I'm like, yo, when are we going to leave? It, we got to go. It's, we've been here two hours. And he looks out at this line. There's got to be a hundred people still waiting. And he's probably signed the same thing over and over and over. And he's like, how many effing people are in this line yet? Jesus Christ. How you doing? You know, I'll get you all of you. And he signed them all. But I said, that was the Mitch that we knew and loved. You know, because he could drop an F-bomb and next minute give a wink to a little girl and sign Mitch Lamroux's 16, and he's a Hall of Famer, and he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. Um, he deserves to be there. And like I say, he's a big part of Fairview. He's, he is Fairview family here. Yeah, no, he, he's great. I, and I'm so glad that he's a big part of the Bears radio network too. I think the past few years, um, it, it's really cool. I think Stu started to get Mitch involved a little bit towards the end of his tenure. But it's awesome that, I mean, 
I don't think the radio network has ever been better with Fish, uh, Fish with Mitch and Freddie and, and Dave Fenway with those guys who are just an unbelievable wealth of knowledge and they're just great characters. Mitch is an unbelievable character where I know some people that listen honestly just for Mitch. So yeah, uh, they he, they see things and they they see it from a player's perspective. Um, you guys have been good for me, uh, and like I said, I'm very fortunate to have Bob Howard with me now. Um, to, to do the, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really see people would ask me, I'd come home and they're like, I was a game like, I don't know, I didn't see it. So I had to go to the bench, go down the tunnel and sit there and wait and ask, look up at the scoreboard and you've helped me. Um, but Mitch has helped me many times. Um, give me some questions. Give me some questions that, you know, if you don't see the game, it's hard to ask an intelligent question to a coach who's trying to win a game. And Mitch has been very good for that. For me, he's been good, but they, Freddie, you know, they all, you know, they're Hall of Famers. And look, look at those guys. I mean, for, for a play-by-play guy to have a Hall of Famer next to him or for you to learn that hockey knowledge is, is a tremendous thing. It's, it's, it's awesome. awesome. Even just, like, away from, away from the headset, just the car rides. Like, I remember just one, one of the coolest things that I learned from a guy like Mitch Korn. I really wish Mitch Korn was still around with the Capitals organization. Now he's with the Islanders. Their director of goaltending oversees all of goaltending uh, with the entire Islanders organization. And he is an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. Him and Barry Trotz are very close friends. So wherever Barry Trotz would go, Mitch Korn would follow. Uh, when Korn was still with the Capitals organization and he would come to Hershey for one or two weekends a month, and I was fortunate because uh, the bus only has 31 seats. So if it was a game to Lehigh Valley or if it was a game to Wilkes-Barre, I would go up separate in the company car and it would usually be me, Beaker, sometimes Brian Helmer, and whoever else the Capitals organization had with us that day tack on to the road trip. So if it was ever Mitch, I was in for a treat because I knew I was learning something. Mitch never stops talking, and it's awesome. It's one of the greatest things. And I'll never forget uh, him talking about a lesson that he does with uh, goaltending scouts where he calls it like the perfect box where you draw out a box on like a whiteboard or a chalkboard, and he'll tell them, so inside this box is a perfect goaltender. But there are two variables. One of them is skill. And that could be a variety of things. That could be your mental toughness. That could be the amount of stamina, the endurance you have. There's so much that goes under skill. Then the other variable inside the the box for a perfect goaltender is team. And we would list different goaltenders throughout all of hockey. Some are retired NHL Hall of Famers, some are in the American Hockey League, some are up-and-comers, and we go through different goaltenders, and we have to divide out and put out, is this guy's 70% team with where he's at? Is his career and his numbers, do you attribute most of it to team, or do you attribute most of it to the skill he has, or is it an even 50-50 split? And it really got you to think about the quality of goaltenders, but also why, what exactly made a goaltender so good? And I I thought it was the most interesting thing. And that completely changed the way that I looked at hockey goaltenders and the way they play. Well, and it's funny. I said it a million times in the last couple of weeks, Simeon Varlama has gotten better 
And I think a lot of it has to do with Mitch Korn. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, you know, Robin he's a, Leonard. Oh my goodness. Well, what thing. Robin Leonard has done. And, and like Varley, you know, had that, he went, you know, they gave him a shot in, in Washington. It did not go that well. You know, he was with the Avs. You know, you look at the places, but he's now with Mitch Korn. He's with Barry Trotz. And, and I think he made Holtz a better goaltender as well. And, and Scotty Murray, we're very fortunate to have Scotty in the pipeline as well. Um, you know, because Scotty is, a, is a kind of a chip off that tree, uh, off the Mitch Korn coaching tree as well. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens in Washington with, with Peter Laviolette building his own staff from this point out too. There's one, gonna... Yeah, there, there's one more guy that I want to get to that I'm sure you, uh, you have some gold on. Uh, Bob Hartley, he's a coach that we skipped over. So Bob Goodman told us in a previous episode that he would actually have pennies in his pocket. And if he ever needed a stoppage of play, he would flick pennies onto the ice there. What do you remember about just the, I guess, gamesmanship is the word uh, of Bob Hartley that you perhaps don't see every day? Well, I met Bob the year before when he was coaching the Cornwall Aces. They came here to play and they got stuck here. I don't remember why, but he had Gar Snow's goaltender and Pascal Trepanier, some of those guys that were Cornwall Aces played us. So the boys would bring the bus down and play golf. They were stuck here for like a week. So I got to know Bob a little bit. And, uh, you know, Jonesy, how are you, my friend? I'll take care of you. You know, that kind of thing. That and, thick French-Canadian. Oh, like, like he, uh, like he uh, Jonesy, you're, you know, I'll take a, I'll get you autograph, my friend. Don't worry. Um, but I got to know Bob better when he came here. And it was funny because I asked him if he was going to sign Mitch. Mitch was a, a free agent. Then, no, I don't want him. I don't want him. Well, funny story. Two years later, Mitch came in and finished the season. He needed him and he played for him. And Mitch will tell you, he's one of the best coaches ever played for. But Bob had more angles, you know, like the stories of bag skating guys. And, you know, like I told you, story, Richie Brennan, and I forget who was with him, got got bagged during a game and they were supposed to ride the Cybex bikes down below. I think they pedaled like five pedals and then watched the rest of the first period, except for Bob, Bob knew the odometer reading on him. Like he played, he was a game, like he, you know, the whole bit, the no smoking, the no drinking, you know, the whole, he bag skated and then in front of everybody, but um, he won the cup, you know, you, so you're part of Hershey history. Um, he was a wheeler dealer. I mean, you know, Bob was Bob. Um, he, he would come into my pro shop and he didn't care. There could be three nuns playing golf and Bob would, it was F-bomb after F-bomb. How you doing? Bob Hartley, how are you today? Jonesy, I hit the longest effing drive I've ever seen on that. You should see Uncle Bob hit the ball so effing far, the whole bit like that. And, and I'm like, how you doing? You know, God bless you. Oh, <laughs> he's effing drive, Jonesy. So long after he went to Colorado and we kept in touch and, um, he used to, he still runs a hockey camp in, in York and he would bring the guys here and Gar Snow, who went on to play for the Flyers and Islanders and, and, uh, was a GM of the Islanders for a long time. These guys all would come and play and Bob would bring, you know, stuff and swag for my crew and everything. And, and they would play. It was kind of neat. You know, he had a couple guys that, that played, um, for the bears at the time. I'm trying to think some of the, some of the guys would help him at camp. So, they play one time and the next day I'm looking around and I'm looking at my greens and they all have dead spots in the length of the flag and the flag stick. And I'm looking at like 16, 17, these massive dead spots, but they were the last people on the golf course. And I'm, I call them on the phone 
And I'm like, hey, Bob, did you guys do something? He goes, oh, Jonesy, I have a funny joke for you. I take mink oil and I pour it all over the flags. Um, up in Canada, we use mink oil and, and, I, and Snowy was playing behind and I want to F with him on the golf course. So I, I soak all the flags with mink oil. So every time he touched them with his hands, he get mink oil. He stinked the rest of the day. I said, you killed my greens. Oh, sorry, Jonesy. I didn't mean to kill your effing greens. I'll send you uh, I'll send you autographs or something like that. And that was, you know, that's a true story. He didn't mean to do it, but um, he smoked a, a couple blades of grass on all my greens at one time. So did you get um, your autographs? Who who'd you get? Uh, I do have a Bob Hartley autograph. It sits in the bar with the other member of Billy. And uh, Mike Stuthers told me a great story when when Billy Barber finally made the, the NHL as coach. Um, when they went to Colorado, all of like Parker was out, Scotty Parker, one of the tough guys that played here. And he was trying to butter Billy up. He's uh, Stutz told me there were flowers in the dressing room, you know, and a note, Billy, congratulations. You, you know, you deserve to be here. Cause when we played them, you, you probably, you're probably too little. I don't know if you were here, but Bob would point at his caller cup ring from 97 and Billy would point at his two Stanley cup rings and then his Hall of Fame ring going back and forth. You know, it was an FU, FU battle. But, but Bob was quite the gamesman. I mean, the stories about the timeouts and the fake timeouts and, and everything. But he's a winner. He's got a Calder Cup and he's got a, a Stanley Cup to his resume. And there's not a lot of people that have that, for sure. Do you think he coaches again in the National Hockey League someday? Or do you think that uh, that window is closed? I would believe the window's closed. Um, and you go back to Carver, Spencer Carbrand. You know, it's funny. I, I asked him a question when we started to get to know each other. We always do that preseason thing, which I hope we can do hockey soon. And he said, you know, Jonesy, today's coaches need to learn to listen more than speak. You, you have to listen to your players. And I, I don't know if, if that's something that's Bob. I mean, he's great. He's a motivator. But I don't think the kids today that, that are coming into the game, I don't know how they would react to that. Um, you know, Bob's close to my age at 60, 61. So I don't know. I, I think it's more of the Spencer Carberries and guys like that. A, a Mike Stuthers, who's a, a player's coach that way that can adapt to the, the, not only the game and the fast pace and less fighting, but to the players that, that are playing the game today. These kids are smart and they've been schooled. They watch a lot of film and, you know, nutrition and, and, and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Um, there, you know, you're, you're around it day in and day out, or you were back when we were playing. It's not just show up at the rink, have a coffee, go out and play and go home, take a nap. And, um, the preparation is so big at this point. I don't know. I, like I said, I see it as the game's going in a different direction with coaching. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting perspective that coaches need to, you know, perhaps listen more than, than speak. That's yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. I would love to have, um, some coaches on this show in the future and just talk philosophy and just how perhaps it's changed over time. Just the coaching style, you know, it's no longer that Herb Brooks type of mentality where you backskate players anymore or where you no longer have that mentality where like in miracle, it's maybe, maybe if I can make the players hate me, they can, you know, rally around themselves and, produce and achieve a common goal so that's all interesting I would love to do uh, a coach's episode in the future you know back then like when I was getting involved I mean there were less teams in the American Hockey League there were less teams in the NHL you know now there's so many more NHL teams and AHL teams and 
you know, the, the international league was big at that point. But when I first started, I was close in age to some of the guys, the Mitch Lamarus, the, the Mike McHugh's, the great players that came through here. I was in my mid thirties. They were heading towards 30 or something like that. Um, the coaches were like old guys that had been there for a while. But now you think about it, these kids are 19, 20, 21. Alex Alexia is a, uh, Axel Janssen Fialbis, a Colby Williams. They're, they're turning 21 here. They're, they're kids that came in a different route. You're not a veteran player that, that has NHL time. So you're away from home. That's why Danny Stuck Beaker and, and has done such a fantastic job transitioning into his role, mentoring these kids. And, and uh, uh, Oli Kolzik. You know, somebody like Olzik trying to, you know, you're taking a kid that maybe was billeted, but now you're teaching them, you know, they're making a lot more money, you know, driving a fancy car, but you got a lot of free time on your hands. You can only play so much video game, but like I said, Beaker has been fantastic in teaching the new, you know, how to get to the doctor. How do you go to the bank? You know, how do you get your driver's license? I'd love to know how many people he took to the DMV, um, you know, Billy Needeman, people like that. So uh, carbs, Carbs hit the nail on the head. You better listen more than you, you speak. And he's got a great staff in, in Patrick Weller and Scotty Allen. I mean, it's just two of the best that are, that are with him. And hopefully sometime, Trusty, we're going to play some hockey again. Yeah, hopefully. Got to get to it sometime soon uh, in the future. Before we go, I have to ask, so you are one that uh, you, you do these pretty good impressions, I have to say. You, you're a pretty good impressionist. Uh, let, let's hear a Doug Yankst one. I, I think your, your Dougie always gets me. Many thanks. Many thanks. He's a very good friend of mine. Very good friend. We're a hockey club. Hockey club. Uh, call, the, call the office when he was a hockey club. Well, what's the good. game like you would play where you just uh, – it's two random names? <laughs> we would throw two random names together and see if he was on the Quebec team or something like that. And we've all done it. And I love Doug. You know, Doug's a close friend. Um, he's been so good to me, you know, that he took a look at me and, you know, there was a friendship off the ice as well. And, uh, for a guy that never played, uh, you know, uh, above, you know, the local hockey level and he had a hell of a lot of talent as an athlete, but he was a great, uh, a great, uh, view of talent and finding players and loving Hershey bears hockey and found a way when it was different than it is now, where it's a younger person developmental. Doug wanted to win every night on the ice. You know, I mean, he's Dougie and, and, you know, you throw a cocktail or two, he's the funniest man in the room. There is no, you can't understand half of it because he's a low talker, you know, and, you know, blah, 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 like that. And if he's listening, Dougie, I'm sorry, but we love you. Um, but he, that man loved to win. He, uh, and being part of it and going to Manitoba or that, I don't drink. Anybody that knows me, I'm not a drinker. I've had three beers with that man winning Calder Cups. Um, I promised him I would drink, and we got on the plane in Manitoba, and I don't think he gave two shits about anything other than was I going to drink a beer with him on the plane <laughs> um, and, and do that. And I don't do it for – it's I've, it's been special occasions. and um, But I can't say enough about what he did for Hershey Bears hockey, finding a Jay Beagle somewhere or a Tyler Sloan somewhere, people like that, and getting him here. But uh, – He's a very good friend of mine. Many thanks. Many I only thanks. had one drink with Doug. I, I wish there were many more. It was uh, in the 2016 playoffs. So believe it or not, it was, it was just the first round. It was after. So first round of 2016, uh, best of five, they beat Portland 
in game five. They're down in that series two games to one. Uh, and games four and five, they both uh, they both win. Uh, it was the two final games of the Pirates, I think. I think that franchise uh, disbanded after that, or they were relocated somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and it's after the game, and we're up with uh, we're, we're up with Amy. So it's Amy, Ryan, and Nate in their office. I go up, and this was just my first year as an intern, and um, I, I'm no longer with the company. So yeah, I was underage. Uh, so we're up in <laughs> in, in the uh, so we're up in the office, and uh, the whiskey comes out, doesn't it? The the, the whiskey comes out. So. Where they're passing around to see I'm no longer with the company. Amy's no longer. So this is all fine. So Doug uh, brings out the, what was it? The Sorlage, the Canadian yeah. maple whiskey. It's like under the desk and it comes out. Yeah, yeah. On the top. Yeah. So we have the plastic cups that are used from the sweet level filled up with ice and you know, in comes Dougie. He has his bottle and he pours a couple, couple rounds. His bottle runs out and he looks at me and he goes, do you know where my closet is? Goes, no, where's your closet? He goes, all right, so if you go down here, if you make it right here, go into this room, here's the key in this closet. You'll walk into this closet, you'll see two toolboxes on the right side. If you go into the bottom toolbox, you'll see bottles of Sorlosh. Bring me up. <laughs> so, so then I go down from the fourth floor down to the first floor. I find his room. I go in. There's the toolboxes. I lift up the top one into the bottom toolbox, open it up. There's the Sorlage. I have to walk past security. So I'm sneaking bottles of maple whiskey, Canadian maple whiskey, up my shirt, walking past security back to the elevator to go up to the suite level to, to have a drink after uh, beating Portland. In and, and he, many thanks. Many thanks. Many, many thanks. thanks. That was his drink. And like I said, when he loved to win, he loved it afterwards. Um, but like I said, there's a, a character in there, you know, he, he does, he's a hall of famer, um, as well. And, you know, supported the American hockey league, but all oh, the Dougie stories are, are endless. I mean, like I said, the funniest man in the room with a little bit of Canadian whiskey yeah. in him for sure. So Helms has that office now and he's, he might be the second funniest person in hockey as well. Oh so. my gosh. Yeah. Especially with that higher voice. I love with Helmer that, uh, the more he drinks, the higher the voice gets. Well, well, like I told you when, you know, you said you were going to have him on it. Trusty, Trusty, how's Trusty, it going? Trusty, Trusty. Hey, Trusty. <laughs> Jonesy, how's it going, buddy? How's it going, buddy? You know, how's it going? Good to see you. Yeah, Jonesy, like that. So uh, that's, it's been, it's been for me, you know, the, the ride and the, the, I have lifelong friends and, you know, watching you grow up has been a kind of a neat thing for me. Uh, I, I hope everything breaks loose here a little bit. You've worked hard to, to get where you are. And, you know, maybe things, you know, maybe you shouldn't have told that story because maybe you'll, once we start up again, maybe you get to come back. Yeah. You know, older and wiser. You know. Herco. Hey, Herco, people drink in the office. It's pro hockey. There we it's go. probably happened once or twice. But Just now, <laughs> for, you know, for me, like if I can say one thing, um, 26 years into it, you know, and like I always said, I was the, the chrome bumper on the best engine. You know, I got to give a, a shout out to Hank and, and Graham and, and Kevin and all the guys that are part of Great Safe Shafe, you know, they let me, they let me, you know, do the fun stuff. And, you know, uh, they're the best in the business, the Great Saves guys. Uh, God bless them because they, they live in that dark hole down there. And, you know, Hank takes more abuse than anybody in the world. But uh, it's a great team of people and all the guys that work, the camera guys and, 
what a great group of guys. But I, if, you know, if you're a fan and you're listening to this, thank you for making me um, part of your family, part of your, your own per- I've made some great friends. You know, we go out to different places. I've been in Cape May, New Jersey, pushing Alex in a stroller with a pair of flip-flops on and sunglasses and have somebody drive by and yell, Go Bears! You know, so opened up a lot of doors for me, um, you know, in a lot of other ways. But uh, I'm a Hershey Bears hockey guy through and through. I love it and uh, always will. And the fact that my daughter is part of it, she's a junior bear now and she's skating and junior reporter from time to time. Um, you know, she'd probably be here right now if I didn't kick her out of the office. So, <laughs> we'll but, have, uh, to, have to bring her in at some point. So in oh, the she future, would, she, she would, would do it. it. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, uh, a big thanks to everybody out there for making me part of your uh, putting up with me some nights. I guess that's what I could say for for earning my stripes through the ushers, all those people. I love every bit of it, every bit, and hopefully I'm, I haven't worked my last game. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to throw that photo up. Uh, I'll have to put a, a link to the photo uh, to the YouTube you video I? or in on pod uh, on Podbean of yeah, you and I from like the. 0304 season when you're in the seats and bad haircut pleated pants um um and and what did i say about you for only 50 cents a day yes you can feed him yep Um, i was i look like one of those kids for 50 cents a day you could make sure this kid never goes hungry that was me back when i was like seven or eight years old you know but wrapping it up you know i've known you and kyle coming into the, the press entrance and and then having you as an intern uh, we did some fun things and I, we, you know, I've had interns, you know, four, six a year, you know, some of, you know, I still see today, but, you know, I'll truly say this. You were one of the best. You earned your stripes to be part of the crew upstairs. Um, you do get beat up hard. Um, but I guess being the young person around that happens a lot. Uh, I guess it is part of growing up a little bit, but um, you never back down from anything. We sang together on the uh, ice uh, the Red Robin sing intern sing along or whatever yeah. it was. So the lip syncing there, yeah. we did that. We not did not an easy thing. It's like me. I had to dress in a leprechaun suit one night, and there's photos of it, um, and an Afro wig one time. So um, I give you, you a lot of credit. Interviewed a robot for, once. No, that yeah, was I, I interviewed a robot. I had the um, the the big video board died right in the middle of Progy Shuffle, and I. I got props from Hank. We did a virtual, I said, everybody close your eyes. There's pierogies dancing in your head. You know, now stop. Now pick one. And I'm mouthing to the person, just say the right one. Just say right. Like that. But um, I, the stories are galore. But the, like I said, I've never gotten in my car and not wanted to go to the rink any night. Um, and that says something about a hobby. You know, that I, I always say I have the best, I have the best hobby in the world. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, something that was a, a passion watching Hershey Bears, but to be part of the organization, the, you know, be fortunate to have a couple Calder Cup rings for doing the burger shuffle is, is okay in my book, you know, just hard to explain if you ever wear them, why you have one, you know, it's like, what'd you do to get that? And, you know, it's kind of like, not really I did much. the pierogi shuffle. Yeah. I did the burger shuffle, the pierogi shuffle, but, uh, it was nice and I'll, I'll give props to Dougie for that. But, uh, like I said, hopefully... December, January, you know, we're back at Giant Center and Carbs is coaching and we're back on because we, we had a pretty damn good hockey team this year. A lot of great guys in that locker room, a lot of great fans cheered on. I think there was something special, so hopefully we can recapture that. Yeah. So no, love to see Helms win one as a as a director of hockey ops and, I, and same with Carbs and 
uh, be great for the fans. They deserve one. It's been a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. Jonesy, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, looking forward uh, to being able to listen back at this, uh, hear how it uh, came out, and for future episodes as well. Uh, I think I talk longer than fish, too. I apologize. But, did um, you really? Oh, geez, that takes talent. Maybe you should be yeah, the new voice of the Bears. And anybody that I offended, I'm the disclaimer was never on purpose. Love you all. <laughs> Rusty, I miss you. Um, you know, don't be a stranger and, uh, thanks for everything and keep up the good work, buddy. For sure. Well, I'll be back at the golf course sometime soon, hopefully in the near future. Got to test out that, uh, that indoor simulator. Well, we, well, you can shank it there. It's just going to hit the wall. It might come back and hit you. So, um, <laughs> get, get Turbot and, uh, Mason, come on over. We'll do it this fall. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Jonesy. Down, down, down. Thank you for tuning in to the That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Join us for our next show where you can hear the fun, chaotic stories from behind the scenes that make you laugh, shrug your shoulders and say, that's hockey, baby. The That's Hockey podcast presented by Trust PR. Thank you for listening and please have a great day. Down, 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 down.